Hi everyone and welcome to the Panda Podcast. I'm James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Really excited to um, host a new guest today, someone who is uh, does a lot of research in the area of mental health and faith, and also hosts the brilliant uh, CXMH podcast or co-hosts. Um, so welcome, Holly Oxlander. <laughs> to the show. <laughs> I was trying to pronounce that. I was like, I wanted to take a pause before I said it because I didn't want to get it wrong. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're great, James. Thank you so much. It's so good to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Um, we've um, we were just talking before we started recording. We've been circling each other on Twitter for quite a while because um, mm-hmm. we know a lot of the same people and you know, we have lots of conversations. So, yeah, it's really great to finally have you on the show. Um, yeah, it's good to be here. So tell us a bit about the work that you do. Yeah, sure. So um, so you, you noted that I co-host a podcast that's called CXMH with Robert Bohr. Um, I am the Associate Dean for Research at Baylor University's School of Social Work. And so I help my faculty and students with their research as I do my own research. And I, I just, I geek out over research. I love it. Um, and especially in the area of faith and mental health, um, trying to better understand, you know, what is it that um, faith leaders, what are their, or I'm sorry, uh, mental health care providers around their views and their behaviors around considering clients' faith in mental health treatment um, and understanding if they got training in that area. Mm. And then also trying to understand what is it that clients want when clients are, you know, in session and do they want to talk about their faith or do they not? And do they want to bring it up or their therapist? Like, those are all the types of things that um, that I geek over, I geek out over in my research. So Awesome. Yeah, it's fun. Well- yeah, what a what a what a what an interesting thing to geek out over. <laughs> I geek out over Doctor Who and 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 superhero movies and and, and things like that. Um, but geeking out over research, um, I almost wish I could geek out over research. Honestly, <laughs> I love it. I just this has been um, this intersection has been at the heartbeat of work that I've done since. Um, Around 2007, 2006 or so, I've been working kind of in this area since then, um, starting with working with older adults with anxiety and depression and trying to understand the role of faith in, um, in their world and in their um, mental health struggles. And then moving into, you know, diving in more into like, well, what is it that mental health care providers think about this? Because we see that oftentimes clients want to talk about this area in their lives. Um, but what we see is that mental health care providers, they're just, they tend to not be trained in this area. And so I just like did this deep dive into this area of research and just fell in love with um, trying to bridge some of these gaps that I was finding. So, so, yeah, what is, so what is it you discovered in your research? Yeah, so... Um, so what I have found, I, I started doing this work, um, you know, in, my, in practice, I was doing this with older adults with anxiety and depression. And um, what we found with that study and that work was that older adults, they do see their um, faith as being relevant to 
their anxiety and depression and that they want to include it in treatment and they want the therapist to bring it up. So that's what we found in that study. I have also looked at, um, in terms of clinical social workers across the U.S., who actually provide, a lot of folks don't know this, but clinical social workers actually provide the largest proportion of mental health services in the United States. I know you're in the U.K., um, and I don't know as much in terms of the mental health system structure and, and who's providing what in the U.K., um, but, um, but I know in the U.S., Social workers are providing the majority of those services, and they overwhelmingly have positive views about this. They think that they should that um, that it's important to ask about clients' faith. They think that they're really confident in their ability to do so. They don't see a lot of barriers to this. But then when I ask them, like, "Hey, do you do this in practice?" the numbers completely fell apart. They were not asking about it as often. They weren't assessing client space. They weren't um, engaging in referrals as often, and they did not have as much training in this area. So, and this has not just been in social work, but as I've extended this research into looking at um, psychologists, um, counselors, marriage and family therapists, and nurses, it's the same story. Um, They're very positive about it, but they're not engaging in it as often. So, so that's, that's where I get excited about. How do we then, you know, kind of step into that gap? So That's right. It's really interesting because, I mean, in the UK, we, we're quite a secular culture. So mm. where it's not kind of given that everyone is, has any kind of faith background. Right. right. So, so, that, so faith doesn't really come up in mental health discussions. Mm. Uh, and, I mean, the structure that we have... We have a national health service, government-funded, you know, health service, which is free at point of need, mm. and that provides some limited mental health services. So mm. you can get four sessions of therapy if you're referred to by your GP, mm. um, or you can get um, um, cognitive behavioural therapy, which I actually got with with the NHS uh, for free. Mm. So you can get some of those things for free. Uh, but obviously, at some at a certain point, you have to start paying, and then you have to do that yourself. But there's a good network of mental health workers, therapists, all those kind of people available. Um, where you could, you could, if you do your research, you can find them, and a lot of them have a sliding scale. So mm. there are those resources around, but we don't have any. There's not much intersection between faith and mental mm. health in the UK. Mm. Uh, the only way I would see that happen is if a church here is aware of mental health issues and it you know, does takes proactive thing steps to to deal with them, uh, yeah. like recommending therapy and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's a very different culture here. Yeah. No, that's so that's so interesting. I think it's not in some ways. That doesn't seem too far off from kind of what we see with mental health care providers here, where there is that that schism between the two. Um, But at least here, what we're beginning to identify in the research is that when you ethically integrate client space, whatever it may be, I mean, whether they are 
identify as Jewish or Muslim or Buddhist or having no faith tradition or being agnostic or atheist, like whatever their frame of reference around this area of many people's lives is, um, like that's where the therapist needs to step in and, and, and ask them questions and see how it's related to what's happening with their presenting clinical issues. Because what we find in the research is that when you ethically integrate um, client spirituality into their mental health treatment, when you ask about it, when you see like, hey, do you have some, you know, sources of support that are tied to your spirituality or what are some spiritual practices that you engage in, we actually find that the um, treatment outcomes are significantly improved when we ask about this area of clients' lives and when we include it. So you mentioned like cognitive behavioral therapy just a moment ago. Mm. And within that framework, within that approach of therapy, um, there is a portion of it that's called like cognitive restructuring. Basically what that means is, you know, pay attention to your thoughts and the ways in which your, your thought patterns overall. And if there are ways that we can just add in a little bit that's tied to your faith tradition, um, then that actually significantly helps clients in terms of their um, clinical outcomes when it comes to mental health. So instead of mm. just saying, like, you know, you know, I can get through this, I'm strong, I can get through this, if a client, say a client identifies with some Judeo-Christian background, um, they may say something like, God will never give me more than I can handle. And that small shift makes a big difference. Um, of course, recognizing this isn't about the therapist belief system. It's not about imposing, you know, my belief system as a therapist onto my client. It's getting curious about what my client believes in and then including and infusing that into the treatment that we do together. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely does. And it's fascinating to me that, you know, that you, when you, when you make that connection, that it actually helps people's mental health. Yeah. Um, I've never experienced that. That's a really interesting thing. Although I say I've never experienced it, I've I've got a spiritual director who I've been with for about four or five years mm. who's also a qualified therapist. Oh, that's right? wonderful. Right? So it's been really interesting because some of our sessions have been more like therapy sessions. Some of them have been very much spiritual direction and some of them have been a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. So it's been like spiritual therapy in mm-hmm. a way. And it's it's been really really interesting to go through that um, because I can see her sometimes using like therapy techniques, you know, in our conversations, and it's it's just yeah, it's fascinating, yeah. and that has been so helpful for me in terms of healing and transformation and uh, improving my mental health. So that's so good I love that I'm so glad to hear that and that your spiritual director is able to integrate those areas because it's certainly within these positive coping areas and strategies Mm. that we can be thinking of but the truth is too is that a lot of times clients come to us with negative coping strategies that are tied to their faith where they're wondering like where is their higher power in the midst of this and they're wondering why their faith community has abandoned them based on whatever the circumstances and again if the therapist isn't paying attention to all of the the nuance and the ways in which their um their faith is woven into their mental health and their circumstances and their um their social support etc um they're just missing out on such a big part of who 
these clients are that they're serving, that they're seeking to serve. So I love that your your virtual director is doing weaving in both like that. That's beautiful. Yeah, I'm really lucky. I'm I'm very grateful for for her mm. um, and for that work that she's, awesome. that she's been doing we've been doing together so it's yeah it is really really great um mm. yeah so so okay so what so how is it how do how can for example churches and social workers therapists work together better do you think mm. what things can they do that would that would help people's mental health and where they can complement each other's work in a sense and support each other. I love that question. That's really good. (laughs) So I love it. It's perfect. So I think first, um, mental health care providers and faith leaders, I think first they need to make sure and realize, actually they just need to realize that at the end of the day, they are both seeking to serve members of their community. So it's really important to first pay attention to what is it their community members are wanting and interested in. In fact, I just finished a study that it should be published in um, the journal Social Work within the, I don't know, the next few months or so. Um, But we did a national survey of current mental health clients. Um, There were about a thousand of them asking them, you know, what is it that you want? Do you do you see there is even being a relevance between faith and mental health and how are they relevant to one another and um, are they relevant in a positive way or a negative way? And overwhelmingly, current mental health clients are saying, yes, these two areas are relevant. My faith is relevant to my mental health. Um, and so what I'm really hoping from this study, and this is the first national study of mental health clients, current mental health clients that I've, I've ever seen done. Um, and so I want to thank the John Templeton Foundation as well for um, supporting that work. Um, But what we had found is that, again, overwhelmingly, they see these two areas as being relevant. So I think if faith leaders and mental health care providers can start with realizing um, that they are both seeking to serve members of the community, um, I think that'll at least help them get on the same page. They're trying, they're all trying to help as to their best of their ability. Um, I think that in the same way that social workers, you know, when they have something come up in treatment that is beyond their expertise, they refer. So if a client starts talking about medical issues, the social worker will say, hey, I'm going to refer you to a mental health or to a, um, a doc, like a, a, a general practitioner. Um, or if they're talking about financial issues, then they may refer out for financial issues if it's beyond the scope of their expertise. Now, I think there can be some things that they at least hold space for for their clients, but then they refer out. So I think for the mental health care providers to, A, get training on various faith traditions and get some training on religious coping mechanisms and what they will likely see with the clients that they primarily serve, I think that would be important for mental health care providers. Um, I think for faith leaders, it's kind of the opposite, where if faith leaders can get some training, knowing that they're not experts in this area, but if they can get some understanding around um, mental health issues, kind of some general signs or symptoms to be paying attention to, because what we do know from the research is that when individuals first begin to experience symptoms of um, mental illness, overwhelmingly they will go to their pastor or their faith leader Mm. for asking for prayer. 
Um, and so if we can start getting faith leaders to be able to discern, hey, that's actually, that sounds more symptomatic of major depressive uh, episode or, um, you know, generalized anxiety disorder, then perhaps then the faith leader can have a list of some therapists that they trust so that they can then refer out to. Um, in the same way that the therapist, when they start hearing about some religious struggles um, or existential crises that they don't necessarily are, they're not necessarily equipped to discuss, um, if they can refer out. But the most important thing that I always tell folks when I talk about this is that the therapists have got to spend a little time getting to know the faith leaders that they're going to refer their clients to. Um, and the faith leaders need to get to know the mental health care providers that they're going to be referring their congregation members to. Because we, in no way, we may have the best interest, but if we send our clients out to someone who could potentially cause more harm, um, then, I mean, we don't, that's, that's not what we do. That's not why we're here. We're here to help our clients and serve them. And so we want to make sure we, we kind of know where the other stands on, especially some, some major hot topic issues. So, yeah. Yeah, so be- yeah interesting, isn't it? Just both sides being aware of the other and being informed and being able to work with them. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah. Because yeah, and it's it's there's some yeah there's some there's some great people doing some great work in this area. I mean, we we mentioned um, somebody's been on the podcast um, recently, uh, Kirsten Kansevich, who's doing church mm-hmm. therapy, which yeah. is which is really really great work um, putting therapists connected with churches, and mm-hmm. which is kind of what we're talking about. It's really really positive when that starts happening. And when people it's so important, yeah, it's important, and you know, and we also see um, like some other tangible ways that we're starting to see this happen in building on Kristen's work. I mean, I love Kristen's work; it's so important for churches and um, therapists to be connected and to find ways to um, support their congregants in terms of mental health treatment. But I know, like at the school of social work that I teach at, we have internship sites at congregations where our social work students will be like a social work intern at the congregation. And so not only do they help in terms of, um, you know, in terms of identifying um, supports and needs and just resources within the community, but they'll do mental health services too with the church um, or through the church. Um, So there's, I mean, I, I think it's neat to see a lot of ways in which we are beginning to get more creative um, and there's a lot of good folks out there doing that work to start to bridge that. I'm so grateful for. So. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and what do you think? Obviously, we're in the midst of a pandemic right now. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of people are going through a lot of grief, trauma, um, and stuff that they're already carrying is getting probably getting emphasized, blown up, um, yeah. highlighted, you know, more than it would have been. And... On top of this, people are church. Churches are not meeting in person, so churches have to be online. Churches are having to adapt. Therapists are having to adapt. That's right. Yeah. So, what do you think this looks? What we're talking about looks like in kind of the pandemic, you know, or the post, even the post-pandemic age. What will the, how will that how will that work itself out? Do you think? Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's such a good question, James. I'm so glad you asked that. Um, <laughs> I truly, I think it's, it's so relevant and perfect for where we are right now to try to think like, okay, everything has changed in both of those two worlds we just talked about. So how do we adapt with that? Mm. Um, certainly I would hope that mental health care providers um, are starting to pay attention to the role of faith. Um, as so many of us are leaning on our faith in the midst of this and wrestling with what is happening and the grief that you just touched on and, you know, some of the trauma that may be bubbling up or um, mental health concerns or struggles or issues or symptoms that perhaps folks have never, you know, struggled with before. You know, but those who have struggled with mental illness before may be like, oh my gosh, this is really heavy and and they have to navigate a new way, but there may be there are many folks who you know have never faced mental illness before who are now juggling with some of these symptoms. So my hope would be that mental health care providers, in the midst of this, that they are starting to be proactive to recognize that their clients are starting to say maybe those small little phrases that hint at, "Hey, my faith matters in the midst of this," and for mental health care providers to begin to. Um, to start creating a list of faith leaders that they trust to refer their clients to. Um, I would really hope that folks would begin to start getting some training on that intersection of faith and mental health. And I have um, a handful of links on my website under the resources tab um, for trainings that mental health care providers can access. And so I would warmly welcome folks to head to that and, um, and attend to some of those trainings. But I think that would be really important in the midst of this. Um, actually, I'm going to think of another thing, but I'm going to say it on the other side of the faith leader piece. So shifting to the faith leaders, I would really hope that the faith leaders are paying attention to the ways that their congregants are struggling right now in terms of the same things that I mentioned, the grief, the trauma, the anxiety, the, the depression, the um, just the, the overwhelm that folks are carrying in this moment as they are juggling you know, navigating work, working from home or now not working or, you know, having their kids at home all the time or, you know, trying to juggle homeschooling alongside with work and um, trying to just, I mean, just navigate all of this while managing and paying attention to their own fear and, and struggle. And so that actually would be the piece that I would loop into both groups is that I would really hope that in the midst of this, faith leaders and mental health care, care providers, I would really hope that they are paying attention to their own faith and mental health in the midst of this as they are caring for those who are navigating the complexity around their faith and mental health. Um, something that I will often say is that we cannot give to others that which we don't reflect upon and offer to ourselves. And I think if um, faith leaders and mental health care providers aren't paying attention to those pieces of their own lives, it's going to be really hard for them to hold that space um, for those that they're trying to serve. So the self-care piece is big in this, in the midst of this pandemic too. So Yeah, it really is. And uh, yeah, I absolutely agree. And it's really, really important that we learn to navigate this as quickly as we can because people are, people are, are really struggling and yeah. we're going to have more of a need for that for for mental health providers mm-hmm. now we are going to need more past we will to be able to pass to people 
well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, and really pastor people well, and you know, than we than we've had before. And we're gonna have to we're gonna have to figure out how we can do it digitally. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. as well. There's so many things. You know, I was talking to somebody last night about this. Like, every, literally everything has changed. Yeah. Uh, and you know, even when we go back to kind of going out into the world and you know, some semblance of kind of daily routine again, okay. it's not going to be the same. Uh-uh. The world's not going to be the same. So we need to, and this has kind of awakened our us to all these possibilities um, okay. that we didn't know existed before, and different realities which we need to come to terms with. And there's an opportunity, probably, as well, to kind of reimagine things uh, in a different way, in a better way, you know, including that this intersection between faith and mental health, because it's going to be more important than ever. Yeah, no, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, the, the numbers that I'm seeing and hearing about in terms of the number of... Um, um, support lines, hotlines, and texts that are um, just going up at such a high rate um, that I just, we've really got to be paying attention to this intersection. Not only because it's so important for our clients' lives um, and because clients are saying, hey, this is relevant, my faith is relevant to my mental health, um, but also because we have this research that shows that when you pay attention to this area of clients' lives, it improves outcomes. So for those, especially those two reasons, if for nothing else, like we need to be paying attention to this intersection and not being so scared of it. I know that mental health care providers, they often have not received training in this. Um, And so my hope is that they're not so scared to stay away from it completely, but that they either seek the training um, or at least, I mean, if nothing else, if mental health care providers can at least ask the question around um, in any way does your, or do you find your faith, or do, I'm sorry, do you want to talk about your faith as it relates to what we'll be discussing? If they can at least ask that, it at least opens the doors for clients. Because what we know is that clients don't often want to be the ones to bring it up because it's such a taboo topic. They want the therapist to be the one to open the door. So if, mm. if they can at least open the door with that question, I mean, that will help tremendously. Yeah, really well, really well, because um, people need it. People need it, you know. Yeah, I know, uh, they do. And uh, it's just so important now. We can't afford to ignore it because otherwise we're going to have a lot of people with real mental health problems which aren't Mm -hmm. being dealt with, um, you know, and, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So this is more important than ever, you know. Yeah, I I mean, so, I mean, in terms of, like, your experience in this area, how does your managing your own mental health and your faith intersect? Mm, oh, that's such a good question. And I'm happy to talk about that. Um, so I would say that this was much easier for me to talk about earlier on, like when I first started doing this work, because I could point to the research and point to the data and say, but look at what it says. But it was it was really hard for me to internalize and to recognize within myself how I need to pay attention to this intersection. Um, 
over the years I have learned research is a really good research is a really good wake up tool. Um, and it's often funny how the things that you know we need um, a lot of researchers the things that that we that we really need are what we end up studying or are most interested in. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, um, yeah, um, I would say that for me, um, and actually part of this is tied into, I'm, I'm working on a book right now, um, where I write quite a bit about this, this intersection and how, um, I have needed to weave these two together more intentionally. But for me, it really has come down to needing to pay attention to my spiritual health and that that does ripple out into my mental health. I am less snarky, mean, controlling, (laughs) angry um, when I do my spiritual practices. So for me, those spiritual practices look like, um, they look like centering prayer every morning. Um, And um, for me, centering prayer is, it's, Thomas Keating writes a whole bunch about it. Um, Thomas Martin does a bit too. Um, but it's really a prayer of surrender. It's a 20-minute sit of me just surrendering to my higher power um, to let go of my own need for control so that throughout the day I can kind of operate from that space of knowing I'm beloved and I don't need to hustle for anything for my worth. Um and so centering prayer has helped, um, gratitude, practicing gratitude every night when I go to bed has helped me just to reflect on the day and to recognize how much good was woven into the day rather than letting the, you know, then letting the sheet, you know, me having to count sheet just to fall asleep because I'm ruminating over whatever happened. Um, and, you know, and my faith community has been important too um through a lot of this and you know just our our congregation the friends that we've connected with through that um but i know that i've needed like just a number of guardrails and particularly those three um to kind of help me to remember that we really are just taking all of this one day at a time one moment at a time um, for those who are in recovery, hopefully you recognize that 12 step has been a very big part of my, um, you know, journey to, especially in, uh, releasing my addiction to control. Um, so anyways, so those, those have been a few things that have helped particularly around my mental health. Um, but I, it really was going through the research that I had to wake up and be like, Oh, this, this applies to me too. I can't just talk about this and say it's for everyone else, um, especially as a two. I identify with type two on the Enneagram, so it's really easy for me to be like, oh, how can I just help everybody else and not pay attention, you know, to the ways in which I need to be caring for myself. But, um, I, I, you know, as Richard Rohr says, whatever, you know, whatever pain that we don't transform, we transmit. And so um, that has totally been true in my journey. Mm, really interesting really interesting yeah Yeah, Mm. because yeah I can fall into that trap too of wanting to help everybody else and forgetting myself you know because I'm a four and you're going four Mm. so when I go into unhealth I go to go to two right so so I'm like I'm doing everything for everybody else why is nobody helping me 
like, why is why is nobody else doing anything? Why is nobody else helping me help other people? Yeah. So then you can get into yeah that kind of behaviour, and I notice that in myself occasionally. Fortunately, I'm pretty healthy right now, but I've noticed myself that in myself before. That's good. Um, how do you? Can I ask you? How do you weave in these areas for you? Well, yeah, I mean, I, faith and mental health. I, I, I mean, I'm not, I've been very bad at keeping discipline recently because of I think just because of the situation that we're in. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people have struggled with that too, but I know what works for me. I know that if I do yoga regularly, that helps my mm-hmm. physical health, my mental health. Yeah. Um, I'm fit. I'm usually fitter when I do it, mm. even if it's for twenty minutes a day. Uh, and I know that meditation helps me. I know um, that journaling can help me, and reading mm-hmm. as well, and uh, those kind of things. Um, okay. You know that that those those things all generally help me. Um, stay centered and stay focused and yeah. stay you know connected both in terms of mental health and spiritual health uh, those mm-hmm. those things are really you know contemplation uh, is a big thing for me i'm part of a contemplative community you know uh, uh, and i'm really grateful awesome. for that so uh yeah those are the things that kind of work for me um i must admit i've been struggling um but like a lot yeah. of people but 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 i know those things work for me and i know that if i do them I'll be healthy um, yeah. emotionally and spiritually. I'll be a lot yeah. healthier if I do those things. Uh, so I think that's the key to being healthy is to figure out whatever those things are for you because it'll be mm-hmm. different for everybody. That's right, that's right, yeah. And then do those things. Try and do those things that's as often right. as you can uh, yep. without putting too much pressure on yourself as well. Yes, that's the that's trick. That's right. And don't, don't shame yourself if you are falling off the bandwagon and not engaging in those practices regularly because that is, it's just going to move you in the opposite direction. It needs to be a, oh, that's interesting. I haven't practiced yoga in a while. I wonder why that is. Well, do I have 20 minutes? Okay. I think I'm going to go do yoga right now. And if you can't, then that's fine. But that non-judgmental self-observation is so important, I think, especially when it comes to these spiritual practices. So. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And that's very difficult not to shame yourself when you're not doing it. Oh, God, very Especially it's our little heart triad, the two, threes, and fours. Yeah. Shame is just our base note. It's so hard. Yep. Yeah, absolutely, you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, have you noticed in this period things that were going on in you that you weren't aware of before things that you're carrying or grieving or you know that you've yeah. that you've just noticed yeah um so okay so i so one thing this semester i actually have been on a research leave and so i've actually been on basically it's a sabbatical that baylor had given me to just um, stay home and work on my writing and my research this semester. So I'm not teaching. I'm not doing administrative work. I'm not doing like any committee work or anything. I've just been home. And, um, so I've noticed in, in that, just the fact that I was on this leave as is, that has started to wake me up to the degree to which I, I thought I was slowing down. Um, I thought that I was able to rest a little bit more 
And I do realize that this current pandemic has, it's just reminded me like, no, no daughter, you've got a little bit more going down to do um, along this journey. Um, I noticed there are ways in which I have wanted to overfunction to cope with this, to do more and to, to keep going through the day. Um, and I've realized how hard it is for me to basically take my to-do list and like cut it in half and then, you know, cut it in half again, just to be able to like take care of myself through this. Because if I try to plow through a day now in the way that the day would have been structured two months Mm. ago, I am going to feel it the next day or two after that. I will be hurting emotionally physically, mentally, I just will not be in a good space. And so it has been really hard for me, but really good in some ways too, for me to realize and let go of that control even more and realize like, this is, this is going to have to be good enough for today. And, and I'll just see what tomorrow brings. But for today, this is good enough. So, um, yeah, and grief overall has definitely been something that, has been a, a heavy teacher, I think, in this season um, mm. for me and my family. Um, there are things that I have grieved that I just never thought that I would have to. And I know that I'm so fortunate in a million ways to be able to have, you know, have a job. I'm grateful for my family here in the house, and I'm grateful for our health. And there, there are so many things I'm grateful for, but I'm also trying to sit with the pain of grief in ways that I have not had to do prior to this pandemic and realize how much grief is woven into just so much on a day-to-day basis. Um, Mm, Whether it's it's grieving things in my life, whether it's grieving things like, you know, the vision that I had for this, this sabbatical or whether it's grieving, you know, the ability to like run up to our neighbor and hug them to grieving the ability to watch my kids, you know, finish off the school year with their friends. Um, but like truly any of those things, but also just grieving our world and the ways in which we're, we're seeing so many suffer on such a deep level. And there's such a helplessness. Like we mm. can offer what is ours to help in this season, but there are also things that we cannot help with. And that is really hard especially for someone who is wired to be a helper yeah absolutely yeah and i agree there's so much we're grieving and we're all grieving whether we realize it or not um we are and it's something that we're going to have to acknowledge and reckon with and we're not going to fully understand it until we're out of it, in a sense, until this season is over. Uh, what we can reckon with right now is what that grief is teaching us about what we were already carrying. Mm-hmm. Things that were already there before this this okay. happened, right? I mean, I've noticed that in okay. myself. Like, I, knew, I mean, I'm quite self-aware and I'm, 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 I'm quite healthy, so I knew the issues that I was carrying before this happened. Mm. And um, now it's always being reminded, you know, oh, yeah, I'm carrying this. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm grieving this. Yes, I'm I'm anxious about this. Yes, this is in me a lot. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and I've noticed that. And but I think it's also allowed me to process the fact that I've processed grief in my own life for the last five years yeah. in a healthy way and learned to do that in a healthy way has helped me grieve what we've lost now a lot quicker than other people maybe and that's not to be arrogant at all or to say that I'm better it's just that when you've learned how to when you've learned how to grieve well and when you've learned what works for you and practices that make you healthy and you've trained your brain in a certain extent to to manage that and to respond to that well Mm -hmm. and to be aware and notice things it does become easier to navigate it's still painful it's still difficult it's still hard work and it still takes time Mm -hmm. um but it is less it is less than than if you haven't got any way of dealing with it at all yeah because i totally i totally agree i i think that has been perhaps one of the most surprising things through this is how how much I've been able to sit with the pain in ways and not just for me to sit with the pain, but to hold that space for my kids in sitting with that pain in ways that um, I would really like to say that I was able to do before. But I think, I think the lesson of grief through this has, has helped me tremendously in being able to sit with that pain um, more than I ever had been able to before. So, and I have definitely been looking to my four friends, to my fours around me, because y'all teach us so much about how to be able to sit with those emotions, that heaviness, and just Mm. be with them and not to hop out of them, but to sit there and say, what is it that you are trying to teach me? Because if I don't learn this lesson, what this emotion is trying to teach me, it's going to keep coming back. And so I have to sit with that to, to let it teach me. So mm. I am grateful for, for Fords right now. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, and it's really strange for me being an introvert and being a four. And it's like, oh, I've got to stay at home on my own a lot. Oh, that's fine. I do that anyway. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I get to sit and reflect on life a lot more. Great. I love doing that anyway. Um, you know, so it's, it's <laughs> it, that's again, it's not been, that is not at all to say that it's been pain free at all because it has not been pain free. I've had right. very low moments. I've had a lot of anxiety and anger and, and things I've had to work through. Uh, so that is not to say that it's been easy, but but yes, it's familiar, I think, is the, is yeah. the phrase. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, just to tell this has been so great, by the way. This has been so great. Mm. Um, Agreed. Uh, what, if you had any wisdom, or like any, one piece of wisdom you'd like to pass on to people, experiencing what they're experiencing right now, and... Wisdom for churches and therapists. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what would that be? That's a great, great question, James. I love <laughs> that. Um, I, I would want to encourage listeners, especially those who work in faith-based settings and who are therapists or mental health care providers, I would want to encourage them as much as possible to tune in 
during this season to not neglect or hop out of the pain to sit with it and to pay attention to what they need right now. Because my fear, kind of going back to that Richard Rohr comment, is that any pain that is not transformed is transmitted. And I would really hope that mental health care providers, faith leaders, those who are helping and serving others right now um, are paying attention to what they need and um, and meeting those needs to the best of their ability right now um, as they go out and care for others. So. Mm, yeah. And I would say that, that that advice is it could be it could be adapted to any to all of us, you know, that we that we don't transmit our pain, that we actually face up to it, that we own yeah. it and name it. Yeah. Um because that's the first step to healing and transformation. So Agreed. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been fantastic. And um oh, thank you, James. And uh, people can connect with your work um, at hollyoxhandler.com. <laughs> yes. And yes. you're on Twitter and everything uh, with that username as well. Yep. So. Um, Twitter, yep, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm on all of it now. So. Right. Yep. Okay, we'll check, check Holly's work out. I highly recommend it. So, and check out the podcast that she's on as well. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Stay safe, take care, and we'll talk again soon.